Good afternoon. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. If you are a regular viewer of Bible Quest on Tuesday and Wednesday, you may be a little bit confused uh, for several reasons. One, it's not Wednesday, and yet I'm introducing the webcast this afternoon. Normally, Drew DeGrotto would be doing this, but he's not with us today. Uh, I'm Jeff Smelser. I'm in Zanesville, Ohio right now. And with me are Scott Smelser and Jonathan Sadler. Scott in uh, Arnsville, Pennsylvania, just outside of Gettysburg. Good afternoon, Scott. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? And Jonathan Sadler, who is in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Are you in Gettysburg proper there, Jonathan? Uh, no, I'm in, I'm in Bidlerville, about six Bidlerville. miles north of Gettysburg. Right. And both Scott and Jonathan work with the church that meets in Gettysburg. Um, and we're going to be talking about Saul today. Jonathan says our title is The Testimony of Saul of Tarsus. Scott says the title is From Hostility to Belief, and I'm good with either one of those, so I'll, I'll set myself up as the easy-to-get-along-with guy here. Um, so uh, let's jump into this. Jonathan, I think you're going to kind of lead our thoughts through this today. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so Saul of Tarsus is a really, really interesting Bible character, um, and, and why we want to talk about this um, is just kind of seeing the value of, of witness and of testimony. Uh, even today, people understand outside of a religious context um, that t a testimony, an eyewitness testimony, is extremely valuable. Uh, if you're in a judicial system, in a court case or something like that, one of the strongest pieces of evidence you can have to prove an event or to prove uh, someone's statement is an eyewitness testimony, that they actually saw something happen. Um, and so Saul is very important for that purpose. He claims to be an eyewitness testimony uh, of Jesus, but also um, his background is really, really important. Um, he was not to, somebody who was predisposed to be a right. believer in Jesus. Yeah. Right. So as, yeah. We, as we get into this, let's remind our viewers that you can chime in. And uh, are you going to be, Jonathan, is anybody going to be monitoring the BibleQuest.tv feed, the comments we get through that? Um, yeah, so so there should be a little Q&A if you're coming in through the Zoom app uh, on BibleQuest TV, um, then we'll see that on the Zoom thing, and I'll be monitoring that as we go. And then also we're live on Scott's page on Facebook, um, and I'll be looking at that if you have any comments or questions um, relating to what we're talking about, or maybe something completely unrelated. Um, that's, that's fine also, and uh, um, just write those comments on Facebook or in the question and answer on Zoom, and we'll be able to get to those. Um, so... As we get started, uh, Saul of Tarsus. There he is. I, you were kind of a still life there for a minute. Uh, um, I don't know when I cut off. <laughs> but, <laughs> you weren't doing anything strange. Okay, go uh, Good, good. All right, um, so uh, let's go ahead and jump into Saul of Tarsus. Um, what do you guys, where does Saul show up? What do we know about him um, when he first appears in the, uh, in the Bible story? First time we see him is at the stone of Stephen, and he is not there mourning the death along with the disciples. Yeah, yeah. Stephen is, is a, he is a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he is being stoned to death, and Saul seems to be in some kind of leadership position there. The, the text just says that he, uh, they laid their coats at his feet as they stoned Stephen, but then immediately after saying Saul was consenting unto his death, it says in Acts chapter 8, there arose a, a great persecution on that day against the church, and Saul is prominent in that. Yeah, yeah, so he's leading that. And later in his life, um, his own words in Acts chapter 22 uh, and in Acts chapter 26, I'll read Acts 22 um, first. In Acts 22 and verse 3, 
um, Paul gives kind of his his background. Uh, he says, I'm a Jew. This is Acts 22, verse 3. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, brought up in this, but brought up in this city, which was Jerusalem. Uh, and he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the high officials, um, one of the rabbis of a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, and he was brought up according to the strict manner of the law of the fathers, being zealous for God as you are this day, talking to a group of Jews. And he says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And later in Acts 26, um, whenever he's talking about uh, the extent of his persecution of the way of Christianity, he's before King Agrippa. And in Acts 26 in verse 9, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in, syn in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And he says this, in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities, which is where his story picks up where we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 for a little bit as he's persecuting the Christians to a foreign city. Um, but that, those statements that he makes in Acts 26, you guys want to talk just really quickly about maybe what would have been involved in, in his attitude and the actions that he had against Christians. He, he says he cast his vote against them. He punished them in synagogues, tried to make them blaspheme. What, what all might have been involved? Well, it's a fairly graphic picture right there in Acts 8, verse 3, where it says, Saul laid waste of the church, entering into every house and dragging men and women committed them to prison. <clears throat> that entering into every house and dragging men and women. Yeah. I, you just imagine you're in the security of your own home and somebody comes uninvited into your home. Um, maybe, maybe you say, no, don't come in. And he bursts in anyway, and maybe has an entourage with him. And they take someone in your family forcibly, or maybe take you and drag them off to be accused and tried and maybe put to death. Um, that, that's, that's something. And so Paul sums it up in 1 Timothy chapter 1 in these words, though I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. Mm -hmm. And going back to Acts chapter 7 and 8, what we have there, it's kind of like with the death of Stephen, you got the, first, you got the blood in the water. Mm -hmm. So there's been some persecution. Back in Acts 4, the apostles were threatened. Back in Acts 5, the apostles are beaten. This is the first execution. Mm -hmm. And when they kill Stephen, we see there in chapter 7, verse 58, they laid their garments, because these are Sanhedrin members, and they've got nice expensive robes, uh, and somebody needs to watch them. They laid their <laughs> garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they're stoning Stephen to death, you know, pick, you're going to be picking up deadly sized rocks, you know, chunking at Stephen until he's dead. And Saul was consenting to his death. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. Mm -hmm. and, and Saul laid waste the church. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with this, it seemed to be like open season against the disciples yeah yeah and what happened to Stephen we'll, we'll remember that because I think that that uh, adds a little bit of uh, maybe value to where we're going Saul at the beginning when we're introduced to him is consenting to a stoning of a man who is a Christian um, and that's that's going to be really significant with some things that Paul faces in his life or Saul when his name uh, Paul when his name is changed 
um, that he'll face in his life, I think, um, Scott. One, one other thing on the, what would those descriptions from Acts 26 entail? When he said punishing them oftentimes, mm-hmm. I believe that would have been the 39 lashes. Yeah, yeah, uh, so beating. Remember, <laughs> yeah, when, when Pilate talks about not wanting to crucify Jesus, said, just let me punish him. And that was going to be a, a, a scourging. But, I had not thought about I had not thought about that term being a reference to the multiple lashings in a given um, attack, and and whether the Romans were limited to thirty nine or not, I don't know that they were, but the Jews went for thirty nine, and when he is being beaten by Jews, he's repeatedly given thirty nine lashes by Jews, and so one of the amazing things here is Paul goes from persecutor to persecuted. Mm-hmm. Every time Paul is beaten, imprisoned, you know, given 39 lashes, these are the things that he used to dish out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so, so that's kind of where he starts. He's, a, he's totally an enemy of Jesus of Nazareth in his own words in Acts 26. I thought I needed to do many things opposing uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, to the point where his followers, he, he doesn't have Jesus there to persecute. So he's going to get his followers and drag them out of their houses, beat them in the synagogues, cast his vote against them um, so that they would die similar um, to Stephen, the first martyr. And as Scott said, they're kind of at the beginning um, in Acts uh, 7 and 8. That was kind of the blood in the water and it just kind of fueled the fire in Saul's rage. Uh, he said he was consumed with rage and raging fury, persecuting them to foreign cities. So the next time he shows up is in Acts chapter 9, and he is in the phase now where he's been persecuting the Christians in the Jerusalem area. They've been scattered and kind of gone back to their own homes, according to Acts chapter 8. Uh, and so now Saul is still not satisfied. He's going to follow them back to their homes. And one of the first places that uh, we know that he goes to is to the capital city of Syria, is Damascus. So Acts chapter 9, um, why don't we just read this text? Uh, do one of you guys want to read Acts 9 uh, and read down through uh, verse 9? Uh, starting in verse 1, I'm reading from the American Standard. <clears throat> but Saul, yet breathing, threatening, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and asked of him letters to Damascus unto the synagogues, that if he found any that were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Um, And as he journeyed, it came to pass that he drew nigh unto Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light out of heaven. And he fell upon the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. But rise and enter into the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men that journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but beholding no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and did neither eat nor drink. All right. So uh, Saul's on his way. He's still got this mission to destroy, to stamp out this Um, What seemingly, I think, in the eyes of Saul would be this rising sect of Judaism um, that was following after just this this man. Uh, And so he's trying to stamp this out. He's on his way to Damascus uh, and he sees someone kind of important. (laughs) Um, Who who does he see here? Kind of important. (laughs) He sees he sees Jesus. Yeah. Which is which is impossible in his mind. 
Right. Yeah. This is an impossible thing. Um, Jesus is dead. (laughs) Right. Yeah. This group of people who are following after this man, Jesus, um, what's the reasoning behind their following Jesus? They believe Jesus is alive, that he's been raised from the dead. Right. And and Paul apparently doesn't believe it. What was that, Scott? Say that again, Scott. A claim Saul of Tarsus clearly would have known. You know, as many people as he's persecuted, and he tried to make them blaspheme. You know, as many times as he's encountered this, he would know their argument that he was risen from the dead. And, of course, he's always, you know, he hates that idea. He doesn't believe that idea. It's it's anathema to him. Right. Yeah. So he's he's angry against these people for saying something that he believes is not true, that Jesus of Nazareth died, which Saul would have been aware of at the hand of the Romans. And now he's alive. And Saul says that's not possible. Um, and so he's walking on the road on his he's way to Damascus. He's not somebody out there freelancing. Right. He, he is with the authority of the high priest, the highest official in Judaism. An official who had authority that extended to other countries among the Jews. So that Paul could get letter, a letter from this high priest, go to a foreign country and go into a Jewish synagogue. And with this letter, he's authorized to take custody of anybody in that Jewish synagogue who is a believer that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so he's, he's not a rogue. And that speaks to the fact that this young man... Uh, with this kind of authority, he has a future in Judaism. Yes. He has, he is a rising star. He's going someplace and he's going to, he's going to walk away from all of that. Instance in Galatians one, that he was advancing beyond many of his own age in Judaism. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, and I, and you may, it may seem like I interrupted you, but you, yeah. you had become a still life again. So I, yeah, yeah. I'm saying I'm, I'm having some connection issues apparently today. So if that right. happens, you guys take the reins and keep going. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you've got him, he sees Jesus. He has this authority um, going to Damascus to, to capture people and bring them back um, to Jerusalem to stand trial that believe in Jesus. He doesn't believe that Jesus is alive, but now <laughs> there's some pretty convincing evidence um, that Jesus is alive. He's just spoken with him and seen him in this vision. And so uh, he goes on into Damascus. Uh, the last verse that, that Jeff read in Acts 9 is for three days he was without sight and he neither ate or drank. He's fasting. Uh, and we learn. Um, go ahead. He asked a question about that three days. Mm-hmm. The Lord could have sent Ananias on the first day. He uh-huh. sent him on the third, you know, after three days. Think about what if you were Saul of Tarsus. What would be, what are some of the emotions that would be going through you in that first minute, in that first hour, in that first day? There's a range of things. What would be some of the things that you would be feeling? Well, well for one thing, you would, am I wrong? Is it possible I've been wrong all along? It looks like, and if I'm wrong, how, how egregious is it that, apparently this one who is the Messiah and I have been opposing him. And then you think about all the people who had been rightfully following him, whom I have put into prison or whom I've caused, caused severe hardship pain to. Yeah. Yeah. When we learn in the next little section, um, when Ananias is sent to him on that third day, um, the reason why the Lord says 
that he's sending Ananias to Saul is because in verse 11 of Acts 9, uh, he says, uh, go and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul at the, in the last sentence, for behold, he's praying. So yeah. he's there fasting and praying. He's talking to yes. God. Um, and I imagine this is um, a little bit, maybe uh, had some repentance involved, probably yeah. had some questioning involved, um, because I thought, uh, as he says in Acts, I think it's Acts 22, Paul, Saul says he's lived his life in good conscience, uh, conscience yeah. up for his whole life. He's thought he's doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden he finds out, oh no, I think I've been doing the wrong thing. Yeah, so tremendous guilt. But before the guilt, I bet there was just huge disappointment. You know, if you, if you lived in a country where they had, if you just hated Muslims, and you lived in a country where it was legal to track down Muslims, beat them, arrest them, and, and have them put to death. And you've been busy doing that, right? Because you just hate Islam and, and, and Muslims. And you're on the way to go arrest some more, and all of a sudden you hear, Jeff, Jeff, why are you doing this? And you say, who is that? And it says, I am Muhammad. That is not a happy message at first. You know, you, it, I think the Lord gives him some adjustment time here. But, but I think he pretty quickly goes from whether it's anger or frustration or disappointment to the, the guilt that y'all described because he's spending that time fasting and praying, realizing well, put it in perspective this way, you know, Paul does, Saul does later say that he had lived in all good conscience and that, you know, he had been uh, zealous for the promise to the fathers, the promise from whom? From God. Yeah. This is a man who devoutly serves God. Right. He, he's not a man who doesn't believe there's a Messiah coming. He just doesn't believe that Jesus is that Messiah. Exactly. So now when he comes to see that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that's going to validate, Paul will later himself say, he is validated by the resurrection from the dead, Christ is. So now he realizes this is God's Messiah. So he's not somebody who has been resisting, in his mind he's not been resisting God, he thought he was serving God. And now he realizes he's been resisting God unwittingly. So now, immediately, he's going to feel the need for forgiveness from God. He is praying and fasting for three days. I cannot imagine but what he was begging God's forgiveness yes. in those three days. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so the Lord, uh, he, he sends, he hears the prayers. Here's, here's whatever Saul is saying. We don't know for sure, but we can speculate. I think those are some pretty fair things to assume that he was, he was saying or thinking in these three days. Uh, the Lord sends this uh, disciple that's living in Damascus, who is a Christian, uh, Ananias. And Ananias goes to him. Uh, he, he tells him um, that he needs to be baptized, that he needs to um, uh, follow after this message uh, in Acts uh, 9 and verse 7. Uh, Ananias departed. He entered the house where Saul was. He laid his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his strength. 
And then he rose and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. And then the next things that he does in verse 19, halfway through, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in all of the synagogues saying, he is the son of God. And now something that comes up um, a little bit later in his life, which Jeff uh, mentioned, uh, and this shows the change of uh, the change of point of view, I guess, that Saul is having. And one of the letters he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter one, uh, Paul, uh, at this point, his name is Paul. Uh, he says, Paul is servant. This is Romans one, verse one, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh. He was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so there later in, in Paul's life, in Saul's life, he's writing to a group of Christians that live in Rome. And he says, look, I know that Jesus is the son of God because he was resurrected from the dead and I saw him. And you see that happen here in Acts mm -hmm. chapter nine. At the beginning of Acts chapter nine, like, like Jeff and Scott have been saying, Saul is following God. He believes in God's promises. He's, he's zealous and devoted to serving God. And he believes the Messiah is coming according to the prophets and according to the other things that are in the Hebrew scriptures. But he doesn't believe it's Jesus. Then you get to the end of Acts nine and this, and this story or midway through Acts nine. And in verse 20, he's saying, this is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. That, that's a very drastic change for somebody to go through. Uh, I think in such a short amount of time, just in three days, he's, he's now totally opposite of where he started out. Yeah. Um, let me let's interject a word about change here. You're absolutely right, Jonathan. Point out there's a dramatic change. You could say conversion in the way he's thinking. Um, there are a lot of people today who don't see a lot of significance attached to baptism and they want to say that really you need to be converted there needs to be an inward change and baptism is just you know that's a an outward testimony that you can do later as as a as a sign to others of your salvation it's interesting though we see a change in Saul's thinking on the road to Damascus right but it's not until three days later when Ananias comes to him, according to Saul's own later account of this, right. that Ananias comes to him and says, and now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Let's let's call out that text for anybody in the audience who might not have seen that. Verse. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Yeah, and, and, and everybody understand, this is three days later after the Lord appeared him on the road to Damascus, mm -hmm. Paul already believes, he's already repentant, he's been praying and fasting, he's, he's already changed. Believing and repenting and, and praying and no doubt asking for forgiveness, his sins are still not there because this text just Jeff just said in Paul's own words here, Acts twenty two sixteen. Go ahead again, Jeff. And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord? So here's one thing that I want to emphasize. Conversion, by conversion I mean a change, an inward change, doesn't save us. Mm -hmm. The thing that I need in order to be reconciled to God is for my sins to be taken away. Right. 
forgiven. Saul, doubtless, clearly had a change of heart on the road to Damascus. But I can have a change of heart and I can change my actions, but I need to be a part of Christ's death so that his sacrifice takes away my sins. And Paul himself will later write in Romans, the sixth chapter, that happens when I'm baptized. I'm baptized in Christ's death. And so whether people like it or not, God has said we need to be baptized into Christ because it's Christ's death that's going to take away our sins. Yes, there needs to be a change that's going to take place in our lives. If there's no change in our lives, if there's no change in our heart, we can get dunked in water and it doesn't mean anything. But the change in our hearts in and of itself is not salvation. That's the thing I want to stress. Yep. I'm going to throw out three questions that I want us to make sure and address before we run out of time here in the program. Uh, and we'll do them one at a time, not all, all at once. Uh, one question is, how, from Acts 9, how clearly can we see how notorious and well-known Paul was? And then from Acts 22, how can we see, in Acts 23, this is not a minor figure, a fringe <clears throat> figure that changed from one side to the other. He was a major figure in the opposition and then a major figure in, in the gospel. So how can we see that from Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 22, chapter uh, well, uh, 23? Then let me go ahead and throw out the Closing other. the gospel. Go ahead. Uh, uh, as I said, uh, in response to your first question there, we can see how prominent he was in opposing the gospel because he was an emissary of the high priest. He had a letter from the high priest authorizing him to go to a foreign country and persecute those, take prisoners, those who were believers in Jesus. Yeah, and, and right here in Acts day, yeah. when Jesus called Ananias, up here in this foreign city, what did Ananias say when the Lord said, go to him? Oh, yeah. 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 In verse 13, Ananias, when he's told to go to, to go to Saul, he says, Lord, I've heard about how much evil this man has done and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And now he's here with authority from the high priest. So Ananias knows Saul really well yeah. in his reputation. And then in verse 21, once after he's baptized and he starts preaching in the synagogues, what's the reaction in the synagogues in this foreign city? Yeah, they, they don't think... Um, in uh, verse 21, they say, isn't this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon this name? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So he was yeah. well known. Yeah. And, and after his three missionary journeys, well, his first trip down to Jerusalem in Acts 9, he doesn't get to stay there very long because what? Uh, uh, doesn't get to stay where? In Jerusalem, did you say? Or Damascus? There in Acts chapter 9. In Damascus or in, in Jerusalem? His first trip to Jerusalem. So he had been based in Jerusalem. Uh-huh. He'd gone the way to Damascus. The next time, and we know from Galatians it's three years later, but the next time he goes to Jerusalem, he doesn't get to stay there very long because what's happening in uh, verse 29? Oh, the yeah. Jews are seeking to kill him. Yeah, they're trying to kill him. At the end of his third missionary journey, he comes back to Jerusalem. How many men take an oath not to eat or drink until Paul is dead. Forty foolish men. <laughs> <laughs> Who went on a diet. 
you know, this is this this is this is a top line opposer who is now you know a powerful powerful apostle. So here, here's the second question. You, you've got a 180 degree change in Paul in so many ways. But it's also interesting to notice what stayed the same. There are some things that are in common between his life, but what are some things that stayed consistent between his life before and afterwards? His zeal, his yeah. his commitment to do whatever he thought was right at whatever cost. Yeah. When he thought Jesus was not the Messiah, how much did he give it? Everything. And when he found out Jesus was the Messiah, how much did he give it? Everything. Everything. Yeah. And before he persecuted them, even unto foreign cities. Once he finds out he's the Messiah, he's going to spread that message to foreign cities. cities. Before he was present for persecution, imprisonment, and beatings. Afterwards, he received received (laughs) persecution and beatings. He's present for them again, but he's on the opposite, opposite end and and so thirdly how does all of this make and i you jonathan you did a lecture on this uh with us here at gettysburg library uh this weekend and and you made a point about paul stoning i i'd like if you could make that point again to just think about uh and 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 y'all give some comments about how important and powerful this testimony is that we have in Saul of Tarsus. Yeah, so so when you read uh, really a large portion from Acts from Acts nine on, you have the the brief story with Peter and Cornelius uh, in Acts um, chapter ten and eleven, and then a little bit of uh, what's going on in Jerusalem in Acts twelve. But from Acts thirteen on, um, really the rest of the Acts is about. Saul, uh, who would become Paul, and him going to the foreign cities like you were talking about, and the message that he's teaching. Um, and so uh, we'll just see a, a few of those, um, just a couple of what he was teaching. In Acts 13, um, he uh, goes with Barnabas, another Christian disciple, uh, and they arrive at Antioch of Pisidia in Acts 13. Uh, and he's uh, teaching the Israelites in the synagogue, teaching the Jews in the synagogue. And uh, in uh, I'll start in uh, I'll start in verse 22. Um, This is Saul talking. uh, And uh, he says, when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart uh, who will do my will. And of this man, man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and John was uh, was finishing his course. He said, what do you suppose I am, that I am not he? No, uh, behold, after me is one who's coming, whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Uh, Where's the verse I'm looking for? Somewhere in here he says that he raised him from the dead. Yeah, in verse 30. Um, Down in verse 30, talking about Jesus, Paul is speaking to them in verse 30 of Acts 13. God raised him from the dead. Um, And he continues, uh, he teaches that to the Jews in Acts 13. um, When he gets to uh, Thessalonica, one of the Gentile cities that he taught the gospel in, in Acts 17, um, in verse 3 of Acts 17, Saul was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So he spends the rest of his life 
going around telling people Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, and some of the things that he experiences along the way um, during one of the first journeys that he took with Barnabas, uh, he arrives to a city called Lystra um, and he's stoned uh, at that city um, by some of the people who are opposing him uh, in Acts 14. And I just want you to think about the, the significance of this, of what happens to Saul. We, we said before, when we're introduced to Saul, he's opposing Jesus. He's opposing people who are following Jesus. Um, and he is watching this man being stoned, Stephen, being stoned for being a Christian. That freeze again? No, no, you're good. Okay, all right. I, I got a message. It may be, I may be having trouble on my end. I got a message. My internet connection's unstable, so go ahead. Oh, okay. All right, sounds good. Um, so uh, in Acts 14, um, well, back in Acts 7, he's opposing Jesus. He's watching a man being stoned and consenting to a man being stoned for being a Christian. You get to Acts 14, and in verse 19, some Jews uh, from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowd, they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So in in Second Corinthians chapter 11, Saul or Paul will list some things that he had to go through that he experienced for the cause of Christ. Um, he was beaten by the Jews. He was beaten by the Romans. He was imprisoned. Uh, he went sometimes days without food. Uh, he was shipwrecked a few times. But one of the things that he mentioned is this event that he was stoned for Jesus. Now I think. Uh, okay, go ahead. You were frozen for a bit. Go ahead. Okay, I'm at the stoning part. Did you guys hear all that? Beaten by the Jews. Yeah, beaten by the Jews. He's beaten by the Romans. He was imprisoned. Um, he uh, was shipwrecked a few times. All these things that he went through um, for teaching that Jesus was the resurrected Christ, the Messiah. Um, and in Second uh, uh, Corinthians 11, he mentions this, what happened to him at Lystra, that he was stoned. When you think about where he started, approving of someone being stoned, and you think about he gets to Lystra, and he's the one being stoned. I think when you think about the extreme transformation that Saul had, it would be fair to say that there are really only kind of two logical explanations for why he would make that extreme of a change in his life. Either what he says and claims for the rest of his life is really true, that he saw Jesus, that Jesus really did appear to him, that he really spoke with Jesus, and that that means Jesus is the son of God, or Paul is just has lost his mind and he's crazy and he's just hallucinated. When you get to this, I think if he was just hallucinating, maybe he would have been able to go through some beatings. Maybe he would have been able to go through some imprisonments. But you think about what stoning was and what this verse in Acts 14 and verse 19 says. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, and supposed he was dead. Stoning was not just they threw little pebbles at a person. They had these sizable rocks throwing them at Saul until they until it looked like he was dead, until he's not moving anymore, and they drag him out of the city and leave him there. That sounds like a man who's very convicted and believes very sincerely what happened to him was true. And it's just an extreme transformation that he goes from watching people being stoned and approving of that to being stoned himself. And that's all because he believes that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead and that he saw that, and he's going to tell as many people about that um, that he can. Um, you guys have any comments about that? Yeah, let's let's consider from from a devil literally devil's advocate position here. How could you explain Paul's conversion? And later he'll he'll tell the Corinthians, and I think we're going to end with First Corinthians fifteen uh, in a few minutes here. But in First Corinthians nine, he says, "I've seen the Lord." 
um, you've got this testimony. We've got, it's a historical fact we've got this testimony. Now, how are you going to explain it? So I'm going to throw out some possibilities here, and I'd like for you guys to respond to it. It could be that it's not true. For it to be not true, then Paul is telling something that's not true, and there's two possibilities of that. Paul is lying. For some reason, Paul chooses to leave the religion he loves, that he's climbing and advancing in, and become the thing that he hates and get, get treated very badly for it. For some reason, he's lying. Or it could be that it's untrue, but Paul thinks it's true. So he's either a deceiver or he's being deceived or it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any other possibility? Nope. It's either true or false. Mm-hmm. If it's false, he knows it's false or he doesn't know it's false or it's right. true, right? Yeah. All right. So first off, is there any, any grounds of which somebody could argue he knew it wasn't true, but he decided to start telling people it's true? Well, when you think about the things that Saul went through in his life, uh, my question to that, if he was lying, what's his motivation for lying? Yeah. Because multiple times through his life, like he's stoned. Um, he's not doing it for money, clearly, because he, he works sometimes for himself to provide for himself. And sometimes when people offer him money, he... He refuses it. He doesn't take the money um, sometimes. Uh, he's not doing it for glory for himself. When they get to, I think it's in, uh, is it in uh, Iconium that the the people that are in that city try to promote Paul and, and Barnabas as gods? And in Lystra, they promote try to promote them as gods. And they say, no, don't worship us. We're trying to tell you about Jesus. He doesn't do it for glory. He doesn't do it for, for uh, financial gain. He doesn't do it for health and, and wealth. Uh, he gets beaten, thrown in prison. There's there's no motivation other than he's trying to get people to follow Jesus. Yeah, and 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 why would you leave what you love to become what you hate? Right. You know, and why would you choose to be the persecuted? Okay, so how about if somebody says, "Well, Paul was deceived. He's crazy. He thinks this happened, but he's mistaken." Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of that kind of maybe would be a good segue into First Corinthians fifteen uh, and his logical argument there, which will get us to if it, the argument is really true. Um, in the opening few sentences in First Corinthians fifteen, the letter that he writes um, to the Christians in Corinth, who apparently some of them are believing now that there is no resurrection of the dead, just in general. Uh, and uh, Paul says uh, in First Corinthians fifteen one, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you now stand. And he tells them that gospel in verse three. I delivered to you of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he says, I'm not the only one saying this. In verse five, he appeared to Cephas, who was Peter. Then he appeared to the 12, the other apostles, the followers of Jesus. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And you think about that, why would Paul, and he mentions others, he mentions James, and then he mentions also himself as witnesses to this, eyewitnesses. But why would he say Jesus appeared to 500 other people, and most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep? In other words, you you'd have you could check with them. There's still people around that saw him. 
Yeah, yeah. And he says, so if I'm being deceived, go and check with the other witnesses and see. And if you've got all these different witnesses coming and saying, we saw Jesus, we saw Jesus, he was here, we saw him, he died and he was resurrected. It doesn't add up that this is just, that Saul is just a guy who's been deceived. Hallucinations are also easier to understand if you have an individual hallucination instead of a group hallucination. Right. I have a friend who's uh, got a neurological disease and he's on heavy medication. He hallucinates frequently. Uh, while back, he, he, he thought there were cannibals out in the front yard, you know, trying to kill him. Or he'll think there's a hundred snakes in the closet or something. But nobody else there can see any of it, okay? But you know what? If, if, if Jonathan looks out in his front yard and he says, Jeff, Scott, there's cannibals in my front yard and, and they're going to try to cook me and eat me. Well, Jeff, I'm going to assume he's either joking or he's hallucinating. But if we go over there and look, and the yard is full of cannibals, they've got a big black pot, you know, there's wood under it, there's fire, and they're saying, go get in Jonathan, get Jonathan, we're going to cook him and eat him. I, what do we now know, Jeff? It's not a hallucination. It's not a hallucination. Or if I don't see them myself, but it's not just Jonathan, but it's Jonathan and about 500 other people who are saying, yeah, I saw it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there really have been cannibals that really have eaten people, and they, they were not hallucinating. So one person seeing something, that could be a hallucination. But witness, 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 500 witnesses. And the fact that he says, and the more part are still alive. He's saying he is challenging the Corinthians. <clears throat> you can check this out. You can, you can talk to these people. And somebody says, well, yeah, but that's a long way away and they didn't travel back then people traveled back then you know the church begins in corinth when paul is there with aquila and priscilla aquila and priscilla had come from pontus which is up in northern turkey to italy to rome in italy and then from italy to greece and there in achaia to corinth and then later they're going to go to ephesus and then back to rome people got around in those days and uh so paul is saying hey there's 500 people who saw jesus alive Maybe the witnesses saw him when he was in, in Jerusalem. Uh, maybe many of those people who saw him in Jerusalem were from Achaia. Remember, people had come to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost and, and become witnesses of the resurrection, and eventually, because of the persecution, had gone back home. But Paul is saying, you can check it out. You can talk to the people who've seen this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the reasons that the Pharisees and a lot of Jewish leaders back in Jerusalem want Paul dead it's because of how powerful this testimony is yeah if if you're a juror and whoever's accused of a crime the, the 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 witness against them is somebody that's always hated them well you recognize that if the person testifying on their behalf is their best friend or their mother you listen to the testimony, but you also realize that that's his mom. Right. You know, this is a hostile witness. Right. He's no longer hostile. But when the Lord appeared to him, when the Lord said, Saul, Saul, and it remains a powerful witness today. Yeah. That's a great study, guys. Um, any, any final thoughts? I want to save just about a half a minute 
at the end to put a plug in here. Any final thoughts? So we got about a minute and then a half minute. Jonathan, anything you want to add? Um, just so we, we just really quickly went over that that story um, in, in about 40 minutes or so. Um, but uh, if you're not familiar with that story, uh, you're listening to this later on in the podcast or listening to it right now live, um, go back and, and read it yourself. Look at the accounts yourself. Um, see for yourself because uh, I think Saul is one of the biggest proofs for the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, when you look at his life and you look at um, the, the radical change that he went through. Um, so if you're not familiar with that, um, you, don't just take my word for it or Jeff's or Scott's word for it. Go, go read it, look at it, examine it yourself, and, and see what's. And those about. chapters, those chapters were Acts nine, Acts twenty two, and Acts twenty six. Mm-hmm. Yep. Plus First Corinthians fifteen. And then Saul ends up writing much of the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. I skipped something. Anyway, he writes a bunch of the New Testament. All right, I'm in Zanesville, Ohio right now, and I'm preaching here uh, through Friday night. Any of you listening to this webcast who are here in Central Ohio or East Central Ohio, um, the folks here in the Church of Zanesville would be very happy to have you come out. You can Google Zanesville Church of Christ or look the Zanesville Church of Christ up on Facebook and find out the location of where the church meets, uh, 7 o'clock each night through Friday night. I think Drew will be back with us next week. Is that right? Either next week or the week after. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. And tune in for Bible Quest tomorrow at 3 p.m. Thank you all. See you all.